Hey guys, you got Christina Gilchrist here, also known as the Dialysis Warrior Blind Chick. And I'm here with my Moosey boy, my Moose the Pomsky service dog. And. Hey, uh, what about me? Oh, yeah, I have Michael Gilchrist is here. The caretaker. And this is Living on Dialysis podcast. And this is a disclaimer we are not doctors. This is just the opinion of Living on Dialysis Facebook group. And always follow up any advice you have with your team and your doctors. And again, this is just an opinion. So if you don't like it, tell me yours. Bye. Hey guys, it's Christina Gilchrist. And Michael. And this is uh, Living on Dialysis. And uh, we have a special special guest and her husband. You guys will know exactly who it is. It's Lacey and Sam Trevino. They uh, run a group called You're an Inspiration. And uh, so, Lacey, go ahead and uh, go ahead and tell us your story. Well, hello, and thank you, Christina and Michael, for having us both. Uh, Sam and I um, have a company, Urine Inspiration. We have lived a pretty much a whole life of dialysis, uh, kidney disease, transplant, and I'd like to share just a little bit of our journey with you in hopes that it helps inspire you to know that dialysis is not, it is not a death sentence. We fully live on dialysis. And with that, I'll, I'll give you just a little background. Sam and I met when we were in high school. I was 16 and he was 17. And he was a soccer stud. And <laughs> I was my little hottie back then, too. And <laughs> we became good friends quickly and had a, a, a solid year of no kidney disease. And then uh, Sam, excuse me, uh, graduated high school. And I was one year behind him, and we started noticing the signs and symptoms of kidney failure, which we didn't know at the time what it was. He was throwing up five or six times a day. He lost 20, 30 pounds. You know, he could no longer play soccer the way that he had been, you know, at the level that he was playing. And, uh, you know, we knew something was wrong, and he went to the doctor and came back and found out that, in fact, his kidneys had failed. At this point, he was 19, and his only option that he was given at that time was that he had to start in-center hemodialysis. And so, you know, um, I've I've always kind of been a, a biology nerd and a science nerd, so I knew what the kidneys did, but I didn't know anything at all about dialysis. And... When he explained it to me, I really didn't know how to respond to him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were best friends, and we were having the time of our life. But I was like, oh, man, I don't know if I can handle this. So I did something that most, you know, teenage girls don't do. I went to my mom and said, Mom, please tell me what to do. Uh, Sam and my parents were great friends. They also knew something was wrong, and... We talked about it, and my mom gave me the best advice that she could have. She said, you know what, Lacey, I don't think you should stay with him because he's sick. I was like, okay. Yeah. He followed that with, 
I don't think you should leave him just because he's sick. See, and, and, and I understand that totally because so many people ask me, well, how do you stick around? And it's like, well, what do you mean? How do I not? Exactly. You know, and it, it, it's not even a question that crossed my mind, and I'm sure it's the, kind of the same with you. Of, yeah, it's just part of what's going to happen. I'm going to get sick too, and you know, it's just part of the process. Yeah. And, and 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 it's amazing how how many people just ask that question. So yeah, it's it's right. nuts. And I, you know, but being a kid in high school, I was like, oh my gosh, uh, I, I've known Sam for a year, and I love him. Right. You know, but I realized after what my mom told me, I thought about it and realized had this disease not come into our lives, there would be no reason for yeah. me to break up with And so I went back and said, okay, um, I have a lot to learn. I don't know anything about dialysis, but I'm not going to sit on the sidelines. And so I was I'm grateful that I was invited to join him. Um, on his first treatment and many mm-hmm. treatments that uh, I actually got in trouble for skipping school to go to <laughs> dialysis with him um, you know because I wanted I wanted to be there and the staff that we had the true pioneers back in our day I mean this was in 1993 wow. those mm-hmm. people said if you want to be here sit down you're gonna learn and I was part of every moment of, of every treatment that they would allow me to be there. And I, and I, you know, I walk in and I'm scared and we would stay in center for seven years. And during those seven years, I became confident in dialysis, much like you, Michael, what? you know, like where you learn, the more confident you become as a care partner. And so. Yeah. You feel I, almost that. Nobody can do a job better than you. You know, know. When, you, when, you watch, when you watch them poke needles or take blood, you're like, ah. You know, you want, you're itching just to jump in there and be like, okay, let me, let me take over. So, yes, I'll do I can do it better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, person. I want to take care of my person. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's what I did. And then after seven years, um, during that time, they had inter- introduced us into self-care in center. And so... Oh, it, wow. It, so what, what's self-care in-center? Self-care in-center is when you are basically running your treatments three days a week in-center. So we would come in, our kit would be in the chair, saline, lines, everything. So you walk in, you weigh yourself, you wash your arm, you build the machine, you cannulate, you know, you, you know, run the treatment and... The thing about self-care, we had a room, and I really wish we had this occurring more often, and I think that's the direction the industry is going back to. We had our self-care room, and so even though we had you know, nurses and technicians and biomeds, we had self-care patients surrounding us in center. So when you had an alarm going off, or you know, like Christina, you were saying, I know the pressures look good, but it feels like it's going to explode. Something's wrong. Yeah. You have patients around you that were also self-care that you could collaborate with. That's amazing. And and learn to figure out how to troubleshoot 
And wow. that's exactly what we did. And after seven years, we had um, a home therapy nurse. This was well before Next Stage and, and everything that we have now came in and said, you guys are running your own treatments. Yeah. Think about home therapies. And before Sam could even answer, I shot my hand up and said, yes, please. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I was so confident in dialysis. I was like, of course we could do this at home. Why are we here? And yeah. that's exactly what we did. And so we took a machine home. And when we first went home, it was a floor model machine. I mean, we're talking. Wow. So that big guy. Oh, yeah. The big guy with the tanks behind it. The plumbing in the house had to be changed. I mean, like so much, like so much different than now where, you know, you have these portable machines that don't require that much attention to the home. And so we did that for five years. And then we couldn't travel because it was, you know, attached to the house. Right. But on, like, that strict chair schedule, we, you know, dialyzed three days a week. But we were still kind of restricted to the house. And then one day we go in for our monthly labs, talk to our care team. And we're sitting there and we hear this uh, representative coming in talking about portable, portable, blah, blah, blah. We're like, what? Wait, portable? Yes. What is that? And that's when we were introduced to the next stage machine. And for the last five years on Home Hemo, we utilized that that technology and that machine, started dialyzing five to six days a week. Wow. Shorter treatments. He felt amazing. Now, keep in mind, the entire time that Sam was an in-center patient, we still lived. We both went to college. We finished our degrees. We got married. We dialyzed in Disney World. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. You, and we, I mean, we, we did everything we possibly could on three days a week. And suddenly, we transferred to five or six days a week, shorter treatments, and he's, he feels amazing. His blood work was coming back as if he had a transplant already. Wow. And his energy level shot through the roof. We... You want to talk about travel? Our favorite thing (laughs) is going to be live music. We lived in Houston at the time, and we took that machine to Austin, Texas, six weekends in a row. We dialyzed in hotels. We met rock stars. We dialyzed at rock stars' houses. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. I mean, and they became our very good friends, which they still are to this day. That's amazing. And it was all because of being able to dialyze at home more frequently and travel. And our friends would come over while we dialyzed. You yeah. know, and we'd hop off the machine and get up and go out. So we had a full life on dialysis. Completely. It's incredible. And it was amazing. And um, the funny thing is people say, why did you wait so long to have a transplant? Well, I'll let Sam tell that story. Um, but when he finally decided he was ready, I immediately said, I want to be tested. And he said to me the same thing that we hear many of our patients say, I have a loved one that wants to give me a kidney, but I don't want to do that to them. Yeah. And he said that to me. And I looked at him and I said, that doesn't make sense. You see, just because I am not putting needles in my arm does not mean I'm not living a life 
of a dialysis patient. You see, my schedule revolves around your schedule. I want to make sure your health is perfect as, as, as much as it can be. I'm making sure we have supplies. I'm making, you know, you, Michael, you get all this. Like, oh, all yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. Behind the scenes. And, and you do it because you love your person and it's just accepted and it's cool. It wasn't a burden, but don't say I'm not going to do that to you. No, I already accepted this journey willingly, you know, and then Sam finally agreed to be tested. And we, you know, after some words when he said no and I said yes and <laughs> we went to the doctor and the doctor shared his bias. Our nephrologist shared his bias and said, don't waste your time. Don't waste your money. You're not the same race and you're not the same blood type. There is less than a 9% chance that you will be a match. Holy hell. Wow. Wow. And in so many words, I convinced him by basically saying, well, we're not going to find out unless I'm tested, are we? And... (laughs) I, I was tested. We were both tested. Sam, because of more frequency in dialysis, and dialysis, and we worked really hard to make sure we were ready for the call, like to say, yes, you can do this, and found out I was a match. And on June 22nd, 12 years ago, I was blessed to be able to donate a kidney to Sam. The, kidney, the kidney's name is Kenny, and <laughs> he is thriving and he's doing great and that's um that's kind of the um, cliff notes version of my care partner's story all right that is absolutely amazing and so i hear you have some medical that's going on now as well so now i don't want to say sam is a care partner as well but, oh, no, he, I mean, he, he kind of is, you know, because, yeah. you know, the, you, you have up times, down times. Can you tell yes. us a little bit uh, about that? Sure, sure. Um, I was always used to being the care partner, always, you know, like, I accepted it, and I was happy with it, and that, but, you know, like I said, he's my person. And last year, um, funny that we're talking about it today, because it's the one-year anniversary of when I was admitted into the hospital. I came down with an autoimmune disease called Guillain-Barre syndrome, yeah. where your immune system attacks your nervous system and mm. basically shuts it down. Damn. And I was um, in the hospital for 50 days. I was completely paralyzed. I couldn't talk. I couldn't move. And because of COVID, when I woke up after two weeks of being unconscious, Sam wasn't there. They wouldn't let, they couldn't let him in. He tried, he tried so hard and they, but because of hospital protocol and COVID, you know, I woke up alone and, um, thank God after a couple of weeks, they allowed him to come in and you want to talk about complete role reversal. I remember when it finally hit me that I wasn't the care partner or the caregiver, or the caretaker, whatever you want to call it, I was the patient. And I I realized it looking at the whiteboard at the end of my hospital bed that said spouse caregiver, and it said Sam Trevino with his phone number. Wow. And I, I, that's wrong. That's me. 
Right, right. I'm and supposed I'm, to be the strong one. I'm supposed to take care of you. So, yeah. I, and I'm laying here paralyzed in a hospital bed, intubated, and I can't talk and I can't move. And, oh, my gosh. So, just to prove that uh, Sam's here and we're, not, and we're not pretending that he's here, Sam, what did you uh, feel becoming the care partner when Lacey was getting sick? Well, you know, um, I, I, my family has a history of hospital stays. And uh, oftentimes people will ask us, you know, are you a doctor or a nurse or something? <laughs> We're like, oh, we just have a lifetime of medical experience. That's all. <laughs> Personal and, medical experience. Right. So, you know, um, I was ready. I was ready for the challenge. Um, I knew what questions to ask over the years because of the years of dealing with the medical industry, which a lot of people, I, I would say, are not fortunate enough what? to have that experience. Uh, I, I would say fortunately unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah. No, uh, but I was ready. Um, and it wasn't just me. I, I, we have a big, big supportive family that, um, you know, we meet about everything. Uh, it, we talk back and forth and, you know, collaborate on what's going on, what's your opinion kind of thing. And one thing I would like to, to encourage everybody who's listening to this, you know, to, to two, two heads are, are better than one. And uh, anytime you can take a friend, a family member, a loved one, you know, uh, with you to a doctor's appointment or a medical appointment, take them. There are questions that will be asked or you know, uh, uh, issues that might be uh, outside of our own understanding that m- somebody else might, you know, understand. Yeah. That, that's kind of the, the process of why I started the group is I want more people that have absolutely nothing to do with dialysis or kidney problems to get on there just so they can get a good idea of 10% of their life. Because when they actually, like, like I have them listen to episode one and just tell them, listen to 30 minutes of her life and it will open your eyes of, oh my God, I cannot believe that this is the process that you guys had to go through. And it, it's absolutely nuts. And I'm the same thing. Basically, just get everybody involved. Take them with you. Teach them. You know, I'm the, I'm, I'm the exact same way. When I went through it, I um, I did the exact opposite. In my family, I always wanted to be tough like the boys. And so I had it in my mind that if I didn't take them and I didn't let them see what was going on, they would think I was some, like, badass chick who was just killing it. And well, so... You, uh-huh. I said, well, you are. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thanks. thanks. And, and I think she finally realize that later on well i've i've realized after like 10 to 12 years like of doing this my my family would say things to me and it was it was things like well can't you just do this and i'm like you don't get this do you and i realized that i had really closed them all out and the crazy thing uh-huh, uh-huh. yeah I, I was just saying exactly like if we don't educate them alongside of our journey then they don't know what you have to go through. But if we can include them and educate them, then we can produce even more 
um, advocates yeah. in ways we'll never know. And I never understood that. And so even now, because I still have that stubborn streak in me and doing this podcast, I've had siblings call me and say, oh my gosh, I had no idea. And I, it's my fault. I, I didn't include them. That's okay. We all learn together. Yeah, exactly. right? Exactly. All right. So we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. Lacey, I want to thank you so much. You have been my one of my inspirations from the very beginning and you have helped me i I have sent you messages at two o'clock in the morning with (laughs) problems and concerns and you have always helped me so i want to thank you on that and then uh i want to end this by lacy how are you living on dialysis well lord willing i won't have to beyond dialysis but I know after donation that is something I had to accept Um, when I was uh, in the hospital with Guillain-Barre, it's called GBS, I'll shorten it GBS, my kidney failed and I actually had to undergo acute dialysis Um, so you know, there was it's, it's something that you have to accept as a donor that you may become a dialysis patient one day too however I knew what it was, and I was okay with that. And so far, God has allowed us to live 12 years, each with one kidney, and, and you know, we're doing great. So That's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. And uh, tune in next week. We are going to have her husband. We, we proved that he was here, he mentioned. And that <laughs> uh, we are going to have him tell his story about dialysis and the process that he went through. So I want to thank you guys, and uh, we will talk to you guys later. Well, before you hang up, I want to say real quick, I think you guys are amazing. I'm very excited about the passion you have behind living a true life, big life on dialysis, and that you know your positivity speaks volumes, and more people need to understand that dialysis is not a death sentence. It is a life sentence. You can live on. And I very much appreciate what you guys are doing. And thank you for having me. You guys are amazing. Hey, guys. This is Mike, and this is his movie review. We are at the AMC uh, Theater with the A-List. If you don't know what that is, it's where you get three movies a week, and you get discounts on popcorn and stuff like that. And like I said, I love this, this pass because... No matter how you're feeling, you can usually always go to a movie. So, um, we are watching DC League of Super Pets today. And the previews that come before that is E.T. And it's the original that's coming back to the big screen. Uh, Puss in Boots, which actually looks pretty cute. Avatar 2, The Way of Water. And that one, hopefully, it can hold up to the, the original. Disney Strange World. Don't know much about it, but it looks pretty cool. Liar, Liar, Crocodile. If you've read the books, you'll be excited for this one. And then the one I'm excited for, Shazam 2, Fury of the Gods. That actually looks cool as hell. And then, of course, the damn Nicole Kidman commercial. Oh, I love that commercial. Okay, so here is the trailer for DC Super Pets. Enjoy. All right, TV night with my bro. 
Oh, you're going on a date with Lois? So disrespectful. Oh, hey there, little fella. Smelling stuff is one of the greatest joys of being a dog next to licking any part of your body. And I lick myself all the time. Well, that explains the breath. Superman. I am Lulu. And you will kneel before me, you piece of... Aw, aren't you a little ray of sunshine? I told you. I should be a lot more dead right now, right? All of us have superpowers. <laughs> Still working out the kinks. I didn't see anything. Are you okay? My best friend is in danger, and you have to help me. You know what they say about dogs, don't you? Never feed us chocolate. We love unconditionally. Baby pet. We're just a bunch of shelter pets. But we're stronger than you think. <laughs> we'll help you get your dumb owner back. Ace, deploy canine shield. What is a canine? Oh! Excellent shielding. That seemed incredibly painful. Uh, why can't I have gotten a magic hammer or something? What do I have here? Bruce, that better be a licensed toy or I will freak out. Uh, DC Super Pets stars Dwayne The Rock Johnson, and he is Super Dog Kevin Hart. He is ends up being uh, Invincible Dog, which ends up being Batman's dog. Uh, Keanu Reeves, he plays Batman. He, has, he does actually really good at it. John Klansky, he plays Superman. Um, and, uh, Kate McKinnon, she plays the, uh, tested on guinea pig, and she does a really good job. This movie was, uh, quite weird. It beeped out some of the cuss words, which for a cartoon movie, I, it's the first time I've heard that happen, but it actually worked. It made it funny. It, it made that focus point, and you just started laughing. It has an extra scene at the middle of the end credits, and then a extra, extra scene at the very, very end of the credits. So stick around. They're actually both really good. My name is Max Gilchrist, and I like the movie. Well, my, my favorite part was, I think, when he did the solar paw punch. Yeah? Who's your favorite character? Um... The main character that starts out the movie. The super dog? Yeah. Okay. Hi, my t name is uh, Tyler Burrell, and uh, my uh, favorite part is uh, when uh, the super dog broke out of the uh, prison and he saved all his friends, and my favorite character is super dog. Yeah. 
I'm Rebecca Burrell, and my favorite character was P.D., and my favorite part is when they're saving the superheroes from Luke Slether's rocket. All right, Grandma Gilchrist, what do you think? I thought it was good that every super, super character has a super dog for, or has a super, super pet. pet. That was, super that was really awesome. And this cartoon redeemed all of the other ones. Go see it. Go see it a million times. And if DC can take anything from this, just make it funny and have a good movie. Because they dropped the ball on every single one. But the cartoon was amazing. So go see it. All right, DC of League of Super Pets was so good, we had to take another set of nieces and nephews. And this is... Scooter, and I loved that um, at the end of the movie, I want to see the lightning dog. Okay. What's your name? Maki. What was your favorite part? Hi, we're up the whole Hi. thing. Hi. Uh, my name is Faith, and my favorite thing was at the very beginning when he started to cry because he's seen his owner um, kissing his girlfriend. Yeah, that's close. Um, my name is Brooklyn, and my favorite part was the bloopers. Okay, what do you think? My name is Christina, and my favorite part was the whole thing. It was very awesome. Take your nieces and nephews, and everybody, bye. Hey, guys, it's Mike. And Christina. And we are having a discussion on... Care partners, caretakers, whatever you want to call it, um, significant others, pretty much the people, the, the backbone of trying to help the or warriors that are on dialysis. So, you know, I, like I said at the beginning, we do the mumbo-jumbo history boring stuff. So I'll go ahead and start with that. Okay, it was a cold night in March. Betty looked into John's eyes and decided that the caretaker was going to be made. No, just kidding. That, that's there's actually, yeah, there's actually no history because, you know, it's just me. So, other than me being born back in 1978, that's pretty much all the history you got. Oh my gosh, that was so awful. <laughs> yeah, but hey, it is what it is. Nine kids, I guess it's what happens. So, I'll go ahead and start off with when I met Christina, I, she, was, she was extremely healthy then. I mean, she was doing two gym, gym sessions a day, um, and I knew the health stuff was there, but I didn't really register. Yeah. So, you know, like I, you know I'm, we've said previously... Our first date was at the Christmas Village, because one, I was broke as hell, but <laughs> we both just, we just, we both love Christmas lights, and so we went out, and she told me she was blind, but again, that didn't register either, uh, and in fact, I, I believe I made a joke about her being blind when she told me, and so... We ended up doing Christmas Village. We went out on a couple of dates. In fact, I said, we started going to movies, and we went to a theater show. And I remember I got some perfect seats. It actually uh, advertised that Lady Gaga was oh. going to be in it. But 
I guess she was just a character. So, I mean, I planned this whole thing. We got all dressed up. I got seats in the very, very back, the best ones. And throughout, like, three-fourths of the show, I lean over to Christina. I'm like, where the hell is Lady Gaga? (laughs) And she was like, she's not in this. She's just a character. I'm like, oh, that's stupid. (laughs) So, but that's when Christina informed me, hey. I was like, hey, what do you think of the movie? And she's like, I can't see it. I'm like, son of a bitch. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, ever since then, we've had the very front row, front middle, best seats for Christina. And I've gotten used to it, too. Yeah. So, her kidneys started failing. And that's when we were pushed into Warrior and Caretaker. Well, we did PD. Well, yeah, but we did infusions <clears throat> first. And, you know, Christina thought she was a burden. Because every Wednesday, I would go sit up at the hospital with her. She'd have infusions. I absolutely loved it. Because, one, I got Laura Dune cookies. Because I'd tell Christina I'd just keep requesting those. Yeah, so I requested thousands and thousands of Laura Dune cookies. I am sorry to the hospital that we took all of your Laura Dune cookies. I'm not, because they kind of owe me more. But (laughs) I actually really liked that time, because we would put on comedians, we would just sit back and joke, um, pretty much coming from all curtained off area, there was just laughing and joking, and a lot of the nurses would come in and just listen to comedians. Because we just have it loud as hell. And, and they all knew us, so yeah. they all got used to us. So they pretty much knew. Well, I think they knew I wanted the Glorodone cookies. But I think they, play, they played it <laughs> off really well. I probably um, told them they were for you. Probably. But, so, that was kind of the start of what Christina thought was a burden. When I actually just really enjoyed our Wednesdays together. I also, at that time, had other family members. Because I remember I went like three times a week. And so Wednesday was yours. But those other days, I had different family members take me. And it was like, it was great getting to sit down and just kind of slow down, turn the clock off, and just talk to people. Yeah. And Christina's just funky as hell and everybody absolutely loves her so that would actually be a running joke because i'd come walking in and there'll be some new nurse or something like oh your wife your 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 girlfriend is so amazing she's funny as hell and i'm like hold on it gets annoying as hell so just wait (laughs) she's like no no i'm like give it time give it time (laughs) so that was just kind of the running joke and then we made the decision that we would stop infusions because we were worried. Yes, we were slowing down the progression of the kidney failing, but we were pumping a full of so many drugs and so many chemo stuff. And it was, I didn't feel like myself anymore. And so I'm sure you're right at that time. Like you did probably step up a whole lot more than, I realized. Yeah. 
because you would you would definitely sleep more you were definitely sick a lot more you know you'd get a cold and it would be you know knocking on your ass for like a month if not more and that was when this was before masks and all that stuff even became popular yeah but I used to give gifts to Christina and they would be centered around medical. Like yeah. uh, Five Feet Apart, that movie that came out. They had some really cool masks. So I got online <laughs> and I ordered some. And I remember I gave it to her for her birthday. And I was like, I was excited as hell because I'm like, this thing's cool. But then she opened it and she's like, hey. What's this crap? Yeah. I get medical all day long. And then I didn't even realize that, but, you know. You did me get me some cool stuff. The blood pressure cuff that goes on your arm. And, like, you were trying to be very thoughtful. But I don't want those things as a gift. Yeah. So, you went along the way. And then we were put into dialysis. She started doing in center, and mm-hmm. we immediately placed a PD tube. So, luckily, we were able to go home pretty quick, almost immediately. Yeah. So, I mean, we knew the progression of the kidney, so we kind of planned for it and had everything placed. And um, this was before we were even married. Yeah. I don't even know if we were engaged by then. I don't, I don't think so. I don't think we were. And so you've got this peppy-ass, cheerleader woman that is just worried about a tube hanging out of her now. Because she had, you had the CV port. Well, no, you no, didn't have a CV no, port. No, I just had You the just had your PD. PD catheter. So I remember there would be times where... You know, you'd, you'd come out of the bathroom and you'd just be crying because you... I remember one time you came out and you're like, I feel like a robot. And cause, just because you had tubes hanging out and you had to be hooked up to a machine. And, and that was the start of the helicopter contests. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if you don't know what a helicopter contest is, ask your boyfriend or your husband or whoever... And they will know exactly what it is. And it's basically uh, you turn your body into a helicopter and you have a contest. So that would get her laughing. And, and I knew any time I could get Christina to laugh, that was my job. Yeah, that's like my medicine. And she had everybody. Everybody in her life. Everybody in her family. Everybody feeling sorry for her that she was sick. Saying pretty much coddling, I guess. Of I never felt that coddled. Well, you always had people worried about you. You always had people checking on you. Yeah. And yeah, for sure. Or asking, you know, what this can do or what this can do. Yeah, there was and a lot of um, especially if you were in the hospital. Explaining to family members that didn't know all the medical, mm-hmm. and so explaining to them what's going on was really difficult for me. Yeah, and at the very beginning, it was, you had a bunch of surgeries, you had to have that kidney taken out, you had to, um, I remember you ended up getting, well, this this is beforehand, but, so PD was running pretty good, 
Yeah, it was and going great. And we ended up getting engaged. And that's, yeah. I conned you into mailing me. <laughs> so we ended up getting married on February 29th of 2020. Yeah. And it was actually right before. We haven't even reached our one year. Yeah. So, um, and it was actually kind of cool because my dad uh, apparently saw the reports and watched the news all the time and kind of saw the reports coming in that people were getting sick. And for our wedding present, it was actually kind of lame, but then it was like, oh my God, thank you. He gave us a pack of toilet paper and two things of these big, huge things of sanitizer. I mean, like the Costco (coughs) gallon-sized ones. And I remember throwing it in my trunk. I'm like, what the hell is this? He's like, I don't know. But... (laughs) We went on our honeymoon. We did PD on our honeymoon. We did. Um, you know, we we picked a specific place that well, the jacuzzi was in the room. And we because knew we had to with go PD, close because of COVID. Well, COVID wasn't really really breaking out then. Yeah, it was. A, it was it was starting to ramp up. Yeah. But it didn't really close stuff off yet. Yeah. So I mean, we were within weeks, if not days. Of stuff closing down, yeah. you know. Um, of course, New York was already freaking out and stuff like that. But I remember we were down in Salt Lake. We had, you know, we stayed at Anniversary Inn. It's just this theme type blooms, and we went to see the Memorial Wall. We did. Where we had my sister's name is on there, and your brother's name is on there. So we yep. found those and we pointed them out and well in fact that's when we found out that your brother's name wasn't on the wall yeah and right. so i looked online and i was able to figure out how what to how to put it, it on and how to make it work and we finally got his name put on but we did that and then we realized that we didn't pack cassettes so it was drain bags yeah it was, maybe it was drain bags so we ended up having, I'll notice at our clinic is really amazing. So we kind of called her and she helped us, helped hook us up with some another stuff. Another clinic. Another and- clinic down there so we didn't have to drive all the way back. And it's not that huge of a drive, but you know, you're on your honeymoon. You don't want to be driving. Yeah. So that was cool. And, you know, and not many people can say they performed a medical procedure while they were on their honeymoon. Yeah. So... I guess a lot of people asked why I stuck around with you getting so sick. And it, it kind of fooled me of how many people asked that. Which sucks for a patient because it's hard to hear that. It is. But then at the same time, you were asking me the same thing. Yeah, kind of. You were like, if you want your out, you have it. Oh, I, yeah. I, I totally get it. Outs. If if you pretty much don't come back tomorrow, I get it. Yeah. But you were we hot. We can be friends. I won't hate you. Yeah. But you were hot and had a really smoking set of tatas. So, oh, my gosh. I, well, it's true. So, Michael. It, uh, yeah, I didn't need much convincing. Goodness gracious. What? It's true. People Hi. have seen your picture. Hi. There might ba-boom, be kids. Ba-boom. Kids. Uh. Yeah, and they know what hot is, and you're the definition of it. So, <laughs> oh 
God. So anyways, lots of people asked how you do it. And I remember we had the interview with Lacey and she kind of said the same thing. And she had that discussion with her mom. And I remember I had discussions with my parents too. But it was never in question. I was like, okay, so it, it, it's just another day. You know, we're going to have good days. We're going to have bad days. She will eventually maybe get a transplant. But right now, hemo is working. Maybe. So, well, but I'm talking right now. Yeah. But, so, things were working. We were actually able to still keep having fun. And, yeah, we had to accommodate life. But I think everybody does one way or another. Yeah. You know, we kind of had to to the extreme. But it wasn't anything that I felt was bad. I think that with the both of us, we had both been in prior relationships that were that were bad in the same exact way. And you and I played the same role in each relationship. So when we did get together, we were both just like the softies. Yeah. You know, and I think that we had gotten to a point where we knew we found the person that we're going to be together forever. Like, we just knew that. And so we couldn't let just me being sick not allow us to live and just to enjoy the hell out of the time we have together. I would agree with that. But the whole softy thing, I'm, I think I'm uh, uh-huh. manually and aggressive. Mm, okay. Good luck with that. Yeah, I am. Everybody saw, everybody saw the wall. I don't think so. Everybody saw the wall. That is true. So, so I guess there was a saying that I would say all the time. And it's, <clears throat> if I can't handle her at her worst or sickest, then I don't deserve her to, I don't deserve to have her at her best, healthiest. And that's kind of how I saw it. You know, and when you go through the wedding vows and all that stuff, they even ask you, you know, good, bad, healthy, sick. Yeah. Do you accept? I'm like, well, yeah, because I'm going to get sick too. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm actually adding up the days because I plan on getting that, that sick later on. <laughs> well, you have to take care of me that much. You got it, babe. Yeah. So it, it's, it's a tit for tat. So I just plan on exchanging it. But... Again, it goes back to humor. You know, by this time, after we were married and all this stuff, we started having complications. There were issues here and there. She ended up getting pancreatitis. Yeah. Which, if you don't know what that is, they compare it to... They compare it to almost childbirth. So, it's almost up there with the man cult. Yeah. Not quite. Especially the Michael Mann cult. <laughs> so, when we talk about her being a caretaker, oh, when I got a cold, it's payback. She has to wait on me hand to foot. Well, so I know, like, during this period of time, like, um, you had a lot of people questioning your intentions. Um, yeah, and those were really hard because... Honestly, just deep down, I'm just a nice guy. Yeah. I I look mean as hell, and I, you know, I'm 
you know, just an airplane mechanic and I've got the mouth to go with it, but I'm just honestly a nice guy. I've, I've raised my daughter by myself pretty much her whole life and I, I, I could not understand why they didn't think why you were genuine. those opinions were coming out. Yeah. And it's like, why am I being labeled as being a negative person when I'm doing absolutely everything I can to have you out having fun? Yeah. Have you out? I mean, I, we, I accommodated our trailer to go camping. I, you know, anything you wanted to do. And that's the thing, like with the property and camping, like, yes, the camping is more you. Mm -hmm. But I absolutely adore seeing you up there and you just being all silly and happy and cutting down trees and being like a manly man. And like, I love all the time we get together up there. And I know there were a lot of things thrown out about oh that's Mike's things not Christina's and I do know that during this period of time there were a lot of people who questioned oh she got pancreatitis because she was up camping when and if you did you had it happen the time of your life yeah you know and and it really sucks because trust me I know how bad pancreatitis is I've had a man cold Uh uh-huh yeah for sure but seriously pancreatitis is actually one of the most painful things they say the next more painful thing is childbirth. So it was pretty much excruciating. Yeah. And you have so many doctors, so many people coming in and telling her she's going to die. Or you need to do this test. Or we and, don't know what's going to happen. And then I got accidentally overdosed on medications. And yeah. So that just added to all that. It added to all the stress and all the headaches and and like I said my job is to make her laugh so like doctors would come in and I would just make smart ass comments yeah and I remember I would just get I'd get looks from from honestly some of the workers too like what from everyone like yeah what the heck this is serious I also knew when I did that I could see how concerned Christina was but then she would start smiling and she would start laughing Everybody in her life is telling her she's dying. I don't need to be that. Yeah. And I refuse to be that. You know, if she wanted to be out doing this, I don't care how sick she was. We went out and did it. Yeah. You know, it's because she wanted to do it. And yes, I was petrified through the process. But, again... you got to make it... you got to make the situation as good as possible. Even when it's a tough, horrible situation, you still got to put a spin on it, you know? And and I tell people, I would rather you pass away with a smile on your face than being scared at the house, hunkering down. Yeah. You know, hell with that. We're going to be on the bike, going and doing, going to casinos, going and having fun. You know, at the very beginning, it was, oh, my God, she, she's doing PD on a motorcycle. When, <laughs> when, you, when we actually dissected it, it was, well, we kind of had to, but we did everything we needed to. We were safe. We were, you know, is yeah. it the ideal situation? No. no. But neither is life. Yeah, it's true. So 
it was like like I said, my job was to make her laugh, and I think I came across unsympathetic. Unsympathetic a lot. Yeah. Because the doctors would say something, or you would say something, and I would mumble a comment of a joke or something, and dip out. Yeah. Because that that was pretty much my thing. Is which I I would just say loved. something, and then I'd I'd be gone. And people would sit there wondering, uh, is he serious? <laughs> and she'd be sitting there laughing. Yeah. You know, and, but that was my job. And after I, lo- and after I would come back, Christina would be like, why do you do that? And I'm like, it's, I just, I'm like, it's just fun as hell. I love just, he would uh, say the planting. Most, the most inappropriate comments and then just walk away. Uh-huh. And I'm the one like. Yeah, that happened. Yeah, I, I I light this little bomb and and detonate it, and then I'm I'm gone. <laughs> and then I come back and I'll say another little comment, and I'm gone. And it's like, yeah. okay, is which he's... means the world to me because it truly did give me an escape from what I was going through. Right. So I want to talk a little bit about the work aspect of being a caretaker. Okay. Now, as as a caretaker, I also have a full-time job. I also had being a full-time parent. Yep. And especially right around our wedding day, a little bit after, there were some really complicated things that happened. She had a bleeding issue, her blood count went really low. Um, she was extremely famous for when I would go up to the property and cut up trees. She would end up in the hospital. So <laughs> I would have no service. And I come out of the mountain. My phone's blowing up. And I find out Christina is in the hospital. And honestly, I would come back. And I'm like, do you just wait until I lose service? And that's when you decide, oh, I'm going I have to go to the hospital. And I'm like, stop it. Yeah, Stop telling me I can go to the mountains and hang out if you're <laughs> not okay. Because I swear it would be like five minutes later, she'd be in the hospital. And I'd yeah. come back down the mountain, my phone would blow up, and I'm like, oh my gosh, again. So, and there, there was one time where your blood count was extremely low. I mean, I mean we're talking 3.2. And for people that don't know medical, 3.2, you shouldn't even be conscious. And Christina's still peppy as hell and joking and laughing. I just couldn't stand up straight. I yeah. had to stay bent over. <laughs> so, and and I remember so many doctors would come in. They'd start talking to her and be looking at the chart. And look at them like, wait a minute. This is your 3.2. That can't be right. She's like, yeah, that's right. Just having a normal conversation. I'm like, you shouldn't even be functioning. She's like, yeah, well... I'm Christina. <laughs> so, and that one was pretty serious because you ended up being life-fighted yeah. down to U of U. Because we were at the little local hospital down here. And they looked at, pretty much if you get Christina's medical history, it's fun to watch the nurses and doctors face because their eyes get bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> and I'll throw out a joke and I'm like, and that was last week. And they're like, what? My gat. Oh, she's going to keep going. Because if there's one thing Christina's really good about, she's really good at medical stories. 
So, dealing with that, I have an extremely sick wife that is being life-flighted to U of U. Now, at this time, and honestly, throughout this whole process, my boss has been absolutely amazing. Collins, I don't know if you listen to this, but if you do, you have been absolutely amazing accommodating me, working with me, and I hope I haven't been too much of a headache. But And I appreciate it too, Collins, because I don't know what I would do the majority of those times without him. And honestly, throughout this process, you know, we're doing PDE, we're learning how to do PDE, we're having problems with alarms. I mean, I remember there would be times when we'd have alarms all night long. Yeah. And I remember getting so mad because alarm after alarm after alarm. And... <laughs> Every single alarm that I had to get up for was, I know, another few minutes of sleep that I wouldn't get for work. And for some reason, I'm not sure why it happened, but I didn't hear the alarms. Yeah, it's quite convenient. Well, I just, so, yeah, I didn't fact, hear them. In fact, we have one joke where people ask me, what, what, what did you do? What did you do? You had so many alarms. And I would joke that I would just get up, punch the machine, and, and squeeze, squeeze the bag. bag. So, that was a running joke. And, and I would say in doctor's offices, nurses, uh That got a really good reaction. Oh, yeah. And, and again, I'm really good at planting that bomb and then just walking away. And Christina's just standing there. Okay, <laughs> um, he's joking. Yeah, that, that was so, not real. So, anyways, back to the work thing. And I know a ton of my coworkers are extremely sympathetic with it. But when it becomes the norm... It becomes extremely hard because then you're just known as the guy that comes in late. Yeah. And it's really hard because there would be times I would, I would maybe, maybe have an hour of sleep because we'd be at the hospital or we'd have to rush over to the emergency room. And that is one thing I cannot stand about kidney, dog, kidney patients and the whole atmosphere of that. Is if there was an issue, go to the emergency room. Yeah. I absolutely hate healing that from from a clinic. I cannot stand it. Because, well, yes, go to the emergency room because it's the safe thing to do. But it is not just going to the emergency room. It is, one, and I understand Christina doesn't like going to the doctors. She lives doctors. But she would put it off and put it off and put it off until Sunday. Three point two. Yeah, until like <laughs> Sunday afternoon or Sunday morning, and be like, "I really need to go." And I'm like, "Damn it! I told you Thursday. Let's go." But because you're not gonna get the top shelf doctors at on the weekend on Sundays at two in the afternoon. No, they're going to they're gonna admit her, and they're going to wait for the full-time doctors to come in or the, or the main clinics because they look at her for like five minutes and be like, oh, we're admitting you because she's a complicated case. So I knew that, okay, we're going, and I'm going to be up until 3 o'clock in the morning, 2 o'clock, and we might be released, and I'll run home and attempt to get an hour of sleep. And I remember I would just be so tired and then 
I'd barely get to sleep and my alarm would go off. And you have to, you know, with medical, you have to get up. You have to go to work. Because, and, it, and it's hard because I'll go in late and there'll be snide comments here and there of, oh, he's late again. And there would be certain people I'd talk to and they're like, well, what happened? And I'm like, well, Christina got life out to U of U. And it, it, at the very beginning, it's hard for them to register, yet you're here. I'm like, well, yeah, because that's not the worst thing. And it's really hard to have to exit that out of your brain and do your job because I have a very strenuous job with, that is extremely important. That if I don't do it right, people die. Yeah, it's true. And, but at the same time, I've got a whirlwind of emotion in my head of my wife is down at U of U and I'm here. And then I would get off work, I'd book it down to Salt Lake, I'd, you know, spend time with her, and then I would still have to attempt to get home, or I would sleep. In the in the room, yeah. and if you haven't slept in their hospital chair, uh, do it once, and you will understand that it is. Yep. It it's actually a torture device. In fact, I think hospitals mimicked the olden days when they had those stretchy machines and the spike chairs and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah, like they're I think, in there. Yeah, I think they, I think they ordered that from the same catalog. As soon as you fall asleep, because, like all of oh, it kicks in. They are so bad, and if it. And if, if you find a comfortable position, you might get to sleep, and then those goddamn alarms go off. <laughs> that, those damn oxygen monitors and the blood pressure cuffs. And I remember one time I just grabbed the machine and kicked it out into the hallway. <laughs> and it was just going off and going off, and you're like, uh, I think I need that. I'm like, no, I don't think you do. It's been the same goddamn blood pressure for the last six hours. And so they brought it back in, and I was told I can't do that anymore. And I told them, well, silence the machine or show me how. So, in fact, I downloaded the uh, manuals to all the machines so I could figure out how to cancel the alarms without them knowing. Yes, he does all the time. Yeah. And they were like, hey, wasn't an alarm going off? Uh, Yeah, it's canceled, and her blood pressure's high. Well, what is it? Same thing it's been for the last six hours. So, you know, and, you know, hey, if you're running on one hour of sleep and you're a smart ass, it's going to come off a little harsh. Yeah, yeah. But, so, that, I think on the outside, because, and social media plays into that too. I post all the time of all the fun things that me and Christina are doing. And until I started the Facebook group, and even even on the Facebook, the Facebook group is a different life than everybody else sees. Now, everybody on the Facebook group, they actually see the trials and the tribulations because they understand it. But the life that people see on regular Facebook is we're camping, we're seeing moose, we're riding ATVs. Yeah. We're... 
you know, going and doing this. We're going horseback riding. We're going to Bear Lake. But what they don't see is in between that, five hours beforehand, she's having surgery. Or she's having pancreatitis. Or she's having to have Narcan because they ended up giving her too much pain medicine. You know, and it's it's things like that 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 people don't see. And that is my blood pressure uh, beeps for her machine. So, again, the biggest thing I can say as a caretaker is, especially if you deal with a warrior or a caretaker or you know someone that has someone sick in their life, have a little compassion. Because you're only seeing 10% of the agony that they see. Yeah. You know, and the same thing, and Christina will talk about this more next week, because it'll be more her aspect of stuff like this. But the hardest part is going to work and attempting to be happy when your home life is absolute crap at that moment. Yeah. She's in the hospital. She's crying. She's <clears throat> passed out. Less than an hour before that, she had to have Narcan. And 10 minutes later, I'm looking at her and giving her a kiss and saying, hey, I got to go to work. Because I know there's going to be more important times of when I need to take that sick leave than that time. And it, it's, it's honestly frustrating because in your mind, if it was your kid or if it was... Just anything that, anything that would happen, 10% of what happens to Christina, that would happen to, I hate to say, but a normal family, they would be Lord. not going to work, they'd be yep. flawed, they, they'd be off for a month. But again, we just kind of transitioned into this. Yeah. So it was, well, yeah, she is in the hospital, but that's just what it is right now. Yeah. So, and I know, I know that, sorry guys, but I do know that I haven't spoke about it very much, but there was a very long period of time when my mom and my dad were my caregivers and, um, you, you guys will definitely meet them because we will definitely have to have an episode, but, um, my mom, she worked a full-time job. And she, she had a thing where if I was in the hospital, she was there no matter how long I was. And she was there every night. She just wasn't going to leave me alone. And she got to where she was a pro at talking to the nurses and saying, oh, no, no, get in here and take care of this. And, yeah, it was having, having people in your life that are truly willing to put their needs and their health on hold to protect you is, it's very humbling. And I think it causes a connection that you never forget. And I know on behalf of all patients out there, for whomever their caretaker is, their spouse, their mom, their dad, their friend, you know, whoever it is, like, we are so grateful we are so grateful for people like you in our lives. And yeah, we may feel like a burden, 
but you guys do everything you can to make our lives better and it's it's so humbling and honestly I don't think repayment would ever be able to happen because it's just you guys give so much and we we get to live our lives because of it so all caregivers you're just incredible mom and dad you were always so amazing with me and I loved every minute of getting to know you guys better and Michael you are my everything and the fact that you took all this time to learn how to take care of me it's insane and I just love you more than anything in the world and I love how it's brought us even closer than we thought we could be and I trust you with absolutely everything because I know your intentions and I know that you're in this for me and yeah I just I love you so much and I know I tell you all the time thank you for being my caregiver but truly like from the bottom of my heart I'm here because of you and I'm here because of my parents and if you are a caretaker, please understand just how incredible you are. And the other thing, kind of like where we've been talking this whole time, and she has been hooked up to a machine that has been sucking her blood out and putting it back in her. So even doing just this podcast, some extreme actions could happen right now. You know, the one of the lines could come popping off. One of the, you know. So, there are extreme things that are going on in a patient or warrior's household that take a step back and just realize they might be going through a shit ton of stuff. Yeah. So, if they snap at you, if they are just beyond tired, or if they... It can't even keep their eyes open at work. Take a step back and, and think. Give them a break. Be like, okay, maybe he just needs somebody to talk to. Because that is probably the worst thing. And I know we've gone extremely long on this, yeah. but it's just what it is. That is one of the hardest things is going through this and everybody just forgetting that it's happening. Well, the thing is, is you're being held to a standard of normal people who don't have medical in their life, but you do have the medical and just because it's not in your body doesn't mean it's not affecting you just as much. And I think people tend to really not give people credit for the day-to-day life and the things they do. So if you do know of a caretaker or care partner Anybody like that, anybody who's a parent of a special needs child, like, there's so many of you out there. And, like, please just give them a break. Yeah, give them a break. Take them out for coffee. Talk to them. Because I guarantee that they have a shit ton on their mind that they would love to get out. Yep. Because that is one thing with me, extremely with me, is I am very good at putting on a front. I am just the mean-looking mechanic guy that, you know, I'm just pretty much, I go to work, I 
I'm extremely serious. And when I'm not serious, I'm joking around. But there have been so many times where inside my mind, I am screaming. But yet, in front of Christina, I'm just joking. I'm having fun. I'm laughing. Because I know that's what she wants. He's being my rock. And But yet, the second I get in my car, I'm not an emotional guy by any means. But there's been numerous times where I've gotten in the car and I've just screamed. Because there's no outlet. There's honestly no outlet. And so, be an outlet for them. Take them to coffee. Ask them how they're doing. And give them a goddamn break if they're tired or ornery or pissy. So, again, we went extremely long on this, but it is an extremely important topic. Yeah. And uh, so, who knows? We'll probably go on this even more. And Lacey said it best. How could I not be, though? Exactly. It's just, how could I not? If yeah. if there was no question of if I was there at the very beginning, there should be absolutely no question if I'm there at the end. And how she pointed out, I'm going through this with you. It's yeah. so true. And it really is. Because now I don't have all the scars and I don't have all the tubes hooked to me, but I'm up on yep. a nightly basis with her. I go to work. I come home. We do dialysis. And if we don't start immediately the second that I get off work, I know that that's going into my sleeping time. Yep. And, it, and it's really hard because it's like, okay, I need to rush home. I need to do this and I need to do this. You know, if there's a chance I can leave a little bit early, I am dipping out and I'm starting, and I'm starting treatment. Because I know every minute that she's on the machine is another minute going late. Yep. So, and, it, and again, on this... There is absolutely no other life that I would want. I absolutely adore my life. And it really helps that she's smoking hot and, again, <laughs> smoking set of tatas. So, but I love her. And there's nothing else that I would rather do than to sit and have our time while she's doing treatment and stuff like that. Because we joke, and we laugh, we watch our shows. So, um, we're going to end it. And so that's basically it. Thank you, Carol Partners. Take them out to dinner. Buy them a steak. And this is Mike. This is Christina. Peace out. Bye, guys. Hey, guys. So the topic this week was super important. So we went a little over on time. So next week, you'll have to tune in to hear Christina's Crazy Corner. And... Since we had Lacey this week, we get the other half next week. So Sam will be here, and you're going to get the patient's point of view on a lot of this. So tune in, guys. Bye. Yeah. And for once, Michael actually talked too much. So sorry, guys. <laughs> no worries. Have a good one, guys. <laughs>